This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal. And hey, the connections here we talk about every day are so interesting. And one of our themes, as you well know, is the mind and the body are, in fact, connected. And we don't, we don't want to say duh to that. That would just be too much of a cliche, but we all know it. But let's talk about the real application of it. Let's talk about the nuances of it a little more completely, a little more deeply than we have in the past by really exploring the very uh, ubiquitous subject, if you will, food and the comfort of food and how food can be a problem for us because of the comfort we derive from it. So Julie Simon has written a book about it. She's out there in beautiful Culver City, California. And Julie, thank you so much for coming on board. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Parker, for having me. So it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about when food is comfort, nurture yourself mindfully, rewire your brain, and emotional eating. This is going to be very interesting. Before we get started, me introducing Julie, I'm going to just say a word from our sponsor in that Core Brain Journal is sponsored by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved targeted mind science details. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond commonplace guesswork. And they also provide multiple training webinars for both the public and medical professionals who want to know how to use that data effectively in their offices. Check out their website at Great Plains for references and testing details. And today, hey, we have a special Great Plains. It really wants to connect with uh, our audience out there, and they're giving away a special this week. It's going to be this week. Each week is different, so you can check that out at the URL that I'm going to give you in a minute. But this week is going to be GPL Myotox. Basically, it's mold and toxin testing. And they're the one group that when you get that test back and you look at the results, you can actually see what's going on biomedically from their testing for mold toxification. So the place you go to get that free opportunity is greatplainslaboratory.com, CBJ, the initials of Core Brain Journal. Greatplainslaboratory.com, CBJ, why not give it a shot? See what's over there. If you're having some problems that don't get, that don't turn around well, that would be a place to go. So let me tell you about Julie. What Julie says is we all enjoy eating, and on occasion we eat when we're not hungry. Are we overeat just because the food is incredibly tasty or because it enhances our personal, our social experiences? Enjoying food beyond simple sustenance is a normal part of life. However, it becomes problematic when we overeat to the extent of causing a significant weight gain or posing a health risk, and we know that food and health risk, it's an everyday experience across the nation. It's, it's a global problem. It's not just the U.S. and us. So what happens is Julie has written this book. She's a licensed psychotherapist and life coach with 27 years of experience helping overeaters and imbalanced eaters stop dieting, heal their relationships with themselves and their bodies, 
lose excess weight, and finally, most importantly, keep it off. A lifelong fitness enthusiast, she is also a certified personal trainer with over 25 years of experience designing exercise and nutrition programs for various populations. Now, I'm going to mention this to you. Julie Simon is also the founder and director of the popular Los Angeles-based 12-week emotional eating recovery program out there in sunny Southern California. So, Julie, thanks so much for joining us. Let's talk a little bit before we get started too much, who you are as a person, how you happen to get on this topic and get into it as deeply as you have. Well, I have been passionate about, as you can tell from reading my bio, I've been passionate about health and fitness my entire life. And early in my life, I'd say like my teens and my 20s, like many young girls, I started to put on weight. And I had a mother and a sister who went ahead of me and they had put on weight and they were busy dieting. And all of us were counting calories, fat grams, carbohydrate grams, weighing and measuring our food, weighing, measuring our bodies, and we were still gaining weight. So for me, I've always been more like a, I have a scientist kind of mind. And I thought there's something wrong with this picture. There is just something wrong with this picture. I cannot imagine we were designed to weigh and measure everything that we eat, count every calorie that goes in, do umpteen amounts of exercise per day. Something's wrong with this picture. And I intuitively knew, just thinking about animals in the wild, they don't have to do anything about their weight. Our ancestors didn't weigh and measure their bodies. They didn't have scales. (laughs) They didn't count calories. And everyone maintained their weight in an optimum range. So I knew that I had to set out on a quest to figure this out. And over the course of time, I figured out all the pieces of the overeating or the imbalanced eating or the weight gaining puzzle. And as I did that, I said, you know, now I need to go out and help other people resolve the mind, the body, the spirit imbalances that cause us to overeat. And currently, obesity is a global problem that is not getting any better. Right? Yeah, it's almost that people brush up against the good old USA, they become they become obese. I mean, it's like when they start eating the way we're eating counterproductively, and we see it all the time. You have a you have a group of people that are living one lifestyle and so on, and you come in and they brush up against our fast food. And it isn't just the fast food, it's the selection of the food. Well, you know, because the people just don't have an idea what they're actually doing themselves. They're just having, as you said in your book, which I think is really cool. I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. They have the pleasure. They're chasing down comfort. They want something to feel better and really they become indiscriminate about what they're going for. And that's, and I think the idea of how you make it, how you discriminate, how you make it useful, how you tease apart these options, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Well, because, you know, when you think about it, overeating is a complex behavior. It, it looks like a simple act. We're just putting food in our mouth. But it's actually a complex behavior, and it's got biological, social, neurological, spiritual, physiological components to it that have to be teased out. And so if you ask yourself, with all of the processed, unhealthy food that's around us, why is it that some people are gaining weight, some people are overeating those foods, and others aren't? If you take someone in the hospital and you put them on an opiate for pain after surgery, why is it some people will get addicted to opiates and others, the doctor would have to force a prescription on them. They don't want to take a prescription home. So we know that 
there's something else going on. It's not just the food and it's not just the drugs. It's not just the increased availability of mm-hmm, processed mm-hmm. Uh, food or the increased availability of drugs. There's something more. So when we talk about food, the neuroscience that has come about in the past 20 years has really helped us begin to uncover what that something is. So why can one person keep their favorite foods in the house and not touch them and get that they're even there and other people are binging on them? Now what we're beginning to understand is that the quality, the consistency and sufficiency of the nurturance that we receive very early in life wires our brain in a particular way, connects the structures of the brain in a particular way. Either our brain's going to get wired for higher reactivity and arousal, and that's why we're, we're going to be, have a propensity to turn to substances like food, alcohol, drugs, or it's going to get wired so that we automatically, if you will, know how to soothe and comfort ourselves very early in life, and we don't end up turning to food for that. So it's it's in the brain wiring. That's what we're finding out now. Well, that's so interesting. You know, I was thinking about it as you were talking because the real issue of makes it a little bit arcane, makes it a little bit deep, makes it almost understandable. And I'm looking forward to have, helping you uh, or having you to help us uh, break it apart. But the way people are treated, the food itself becomes, I guess what you're saying, representational in some respect for that early level of stress and I hate to use the word stress because it's so overused, and trauma, that's overused, but that's what happens. People experience the world in different ways, and then what happens is they experience the world in that particular way, and there needs to be somehow an adverse experience, so then they want to heal that experience, and that experience, then they got to get something to make themselves feel better, and as you said a moment ago, it could be a variety of things. It doesn't have to be just food, but food can be even if it's, I'm assuming, based on what you just said, that even if the food is very carefully selected, it can still be a problem. Because if it's not selected from a, an awareness of what the underlying tension is, you're going to miss the thing and become compulsive about it and get carried away with it. Is that true? True. And, you know, you might not even have a weight problem. So you might not yet have a weight problem or even a health problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people that are turning to food, what we call emotional eating, plenty of people that are doing emotional eating that don't even have a weight or a health challenge yet. You know, maybe what would be useful is first if we define emotional eating. We kind of define what are the examples of emotional eating and how might you know if you're an emotional eater and you're turning to food in those ways. Okay, so if you use food as a tranquilizer, to dull emotions that are difficult to cope with, like anxiety, sadness, frustration, anger, loneliness, shame, guilt, and even happiness and excitement. If you use food to comfort and soothe yourself, especially what maybe when you're experiencing unpleasant bodily sensations like agitation in your body, tension in your body, butterflies, anything like that, you might be using food to soothe and comfort yourself. Many people use food for pleasure, fulfillment, and excitement, okay? Are you turning to food to silence self-defeating, critical, judgmental thoughts and quiet your mind, okay? Are you using food when you're bored? Are you using food for low motivation states like boredom and apathy? Are you using food to rebel against someone? Are you using food to punish yourself? Are you using food to reward yourself? 
Are you using food because your life lacks purpose, passion, meaning, inspiration? Are you filling up an inner emptiness with food? Okay. So I go on and on, long list of ways wow. in which we would know if we're turning to food for those reasons. So if we back up a little bit and we, if you allow me to. And please, we, please. I'm looking forward to it. And we go back, let's go back to childhood. Okay, let's go back to infancy and childhood. And so when we're an infant or a small child and we have feelings, we don't usually yet have labels for them, especially in infancy. We just experience tension in our body. And when we experience tension or we're a toddler and we're starting to feel sad or frustrated or irritable, when we have good, sufficient, consistent nurturing, our mommy or some other caregiver swoops in and begins with her words and her tone and her eye contact, begins to soothe and comfort us, okay? And we begin to develop association between our experience of unpleasant emotions and mommy swooping in and comforting us, okay? And what we, we call, we have a name for this, we call this attunement. So when caregivers are well attuned, an infant, a toddler just begins to have emotions and begins to get what we call dysregulated, emotionally and physically dysregulated. And the, the caregiver swoops in and regulates the child. This is starting to form and connect structures in the brain, this attunement. And it's also creating attachment, a secure attachment to our caregiver, which gives us that comfort, that comfort level that when I have these kind of feelings, then someone comes and helps me and calms me. We're also developing those kind of thoughts in our brain. There's someone to help me. The world is a safe place, right? Mm -hmm. All of this is happening in our brain, right? And if, as mommy continues to do this and as we grow, we're going to do something called co-regulate. So now we're going to begin to be able to say some of the things mommy has said. It's okay that I hurt my knee. I'll be okay right? We're beginning to develop the structures of the brain, the cortex, where the soothing and regulating functions are. And we're developing integrative circuits between those functions in the cortex and the emotional brain, the brain that says, ah, you know, there's a doggy that's ready that looks scary, you know, we're beginning to develop connections so that we can learn to soothe ourselves. If all goes smoothly, our brain is going to work well, and we are going to have the ability to self-regulate. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what does self-regulate mean? We're going to develop self-regulation. Self-regulation is a big word, big two words. What it means is the ability to manage our moods, our behaviors, our impulses, and think before we act. If all goes right, we're going to be able to do that. So that's going to make the difference between the person who says, gee, I just had one slice of chocolate cake and I would love to have five more because it's so incredible, but I'm not going to because it's not good for my body and it's not, and I'll gain weight if I do it. Mm -hmm. So what makes the difference between the person that says that and the person that says, gee, that piece of cake was so good. I don't care. I just want more now. Mm -hmm. That person is stuck in their emotional brain. Those integrative circuits aren't connecting mm -hmm. to the self-regulation circuitry of the brain. It's not online. It hasn't come online well enough. And they're having trouble regulating their behaviors. And it's not their fault. Their brain did not get wired properly. And the good news, which we'll get to, is that we now know that we can rewire the brain so that we can learn to self-regulate and manage our behaviors and our emotions 
and use our logical part of the brain to reason through what we're doing. Well, you know, Julie Simon, this may not seem too, uh, I may be going too global with this next comment. It's a little off. It may not be germane, forgive me for that, but I, I can't help as you're talking, but think about the broader application of what you're talking about, because it goes far beyond food. If a person has these internal self-regulatory mechanisms operational, then food's only a part of what's going on. I mean, then the applications, you can almost use food as a practicing court to dribble the basketball around and shoot a few baskets to see what it's <laughs> like as opposed to just being out in life and not knowing what's going on. So you're in there managing food and recognizing the triggers that you have that would send you down the wrong path. And then the self-regulatory mechanisms coming in. And it sounds like it's an evolved self-regulatory mechanism because it's not just don't do that, but there are some other things that come in in terms of a problem identification, alternatives, recognition, a lot of, I mean, I don't know that much about it. I'm just talking off the top of my head. But then that practice pattern, it sounds like has a much broader application. I mean, I can imagine a person having, like you're a personal trainer. Then it winds up having a whole different level of how you deal with yourself and your physical body, I would imagine. Oh, it's on every front. I mean, that's why, you know, you could substitute the book that I wrote. You can have any problem. You can have a problem with food. You can have a problem with alcohol. You can have a problem with drugs. You can have a problem getting up in the morning and activating yourself. You can have a problem with being late. You can have a problem with gambling. You can have a problem with overspending. You can drive your car too fast and get in too many accidents. You know, any of these areas where you have difficulty regulating your behaviors, we are automatically know that something's going on in the brain, something's happening in the wiring that you cannot set your goal. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to bed every evening by 11 because I need the sleep and you know, I need to get up by such and such a time. If you can self-regulate, you can do it everywhere in your life. If you're having trouble with self-regulation, you're probably having trouble with it in more places than one, right? Isn't that interesting? And you know, I really hadn't thought about food as an instructional tool. <laughs> you know, it's really like, okay, let's see it right there where that stuff's coming into your mouth. Let's it's get, a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, for the whole, the, as they say in Philadelphia, the whole mishpuka. <laughs> Get it done. Get it right. You know, it's really, because then what happens if you see that and you say, look, somewhere on that level, you break through the denials. I'm not self-regulated here. And if you can do it with food, which is so elemental and so present in everyday life, then the broader application of living your life in a continuous fashion and in the dynamic of how you deal with the reality of everyday life, it just I mean, it sounds doggone interesting to tell you the truth. I really hadn't thought about food in that manner. I really appreciate your sharing that. Well, it's so funny because people will come to my seminars and workshops and they'll say, I don't think I'm an emotional eater. I think I just love food. And I say, okay, well, bottom line, I think we all love food. I don't know too many people who don't like food. But my question to you is, can you just make choices to eat healthfully? And you're telling me you just love food, but I also notice that you're 50 pounds overweight. So I don't buy it. I mean, you're having trouble regulating your behaviors. What is that about? Do you have trouble in other areas regulating your behaviors? And usually will people say, well, yeah, my wife tells me I spend a little too much or, 
well, yeah, you know, my husband says those three glasses of wine I have every night are make me an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, <laughs> it's never just food. It's self-regulation. And the good news is, is that we really can learn self-regulation. This is what my book is all about. It's all about a mindfulness practice that will help you connect to yourself. You'll be practicing internal attunement. So we talked about that very important skill that parents must have to attune to their children and how when we get the proper attunement when we're young, it all the systems in the brain go online. If we didn't get that, and in fact, I said the structures of the brain come online when we get the proper attunement. Also, the chemistry of the brain gets created. The structures that create chemistry, all the feel-good chemicals, dopamine, serotonin, all of that comes online from proper attunement. So, you know, not to put all that much pressure on young parents, but (laughs) there's a lot of pressure there. So if all that hasn't happened, the good news is we can practice a mindfulness practice where we are internally attuning and we can rewire the brain and shift and adjust our brain chemistry. And we, there's a way out. Well, you know, that is so interesting because just as you were talking about, I was traveling along with you in in the pictures you were putting up for us. And, and, you know, so much of what we do as individuals, if you look at, if you just take politics, which I promise you I will not get into because it's so boring nowadays, but the issue would be entitlement. Entitlement is an example of individuals who are seeking comfort from the outside in some way and less desirous of being responsible within themselves. And even some people who are serious conservatives are really massively entitled in terms of the way they're actually managing themselves because they're not really mindful of what's going on with others in a, in a, in a way. So what happens is you would think of conservatism as a political idea of being against the whole thing of wanting something to feel comfortable from the outside. And yet the antithesis of that is what's going on in the political dialogue because the individuals who are the conservative people are are constantly running around figuring how they can make themselves more comfortable. Well, and you know, if you think about it, when you think about that concept of entitlement, because what we're talking about really is babies and toddlers and children that get derailed, okay? That's what we're Mm -hmm. talking about. The brain gets derailed and then the behaviors get derailed. There's developmental derailment. Mm -hmm. And you can see developmental derailment in our current leaders. Mm -hmm. So basically what we're talking about is a child in a grown-up body. We're talking about beings that haven't fully grown. And that's what entitlement's all about. It's young, it's derailed, and the brain needs to be rewired. Mm Well, and the brain needs to be rewired and the person needs to become more self-reflective, which is what your mission is. You didn't say that word per se, but that's really essentially what you were talking about repeatedly is the recognition of one's relationship with that comfort modality, using food as a metaphor for where they're going with themselves. What's their relationship with that level of comfort? What's their relationship with this other level of comfort? How do they actually manage themselves in these other contexts? I mean, Yeah, and that is such a good point that you raise because that's where entitlement starts from the experience of even parents who are programming the child. Like this is exactly should be. You know, this is how you should think about people. And entitlement often comes from parents who they don't know how to properly attune and nurture and regulate their children. And they kind of live through their children. So Mm -hmm. they kind of boost up an ego in a child. 
but the child doesn't have the grounding and the foundation to support that big ego, right? And then we well, see entitlement. Yeah, and to sort reality. They don't really get the reality training sorted out because the parent's really not teaching them to do reality training. They're like, I'm the parent. We see this happen all the time. I'm sure very familiar with it because you're so deep into what you're thinking about. We see so many people who are busy at 50, 60 years old parenting their kids who are 35 years old and telling them what to do and being imperious. And it's like, I know more than you do about life. Therefore, you should be listening to me because I'm going to set the rules. And that's where these things come from, because then the person has no internal training. Like, how do you think about this? What are the alternatives? How can you evaluate this? So, so let's take a moment. We're going to take a break in just a second here. But one of the questions, I'm not the question, it's the question is coming up, which I think is a little deeper. That's the reason I want to take a little time to talk about it, is the actual application with a person or two in terms of how you do this. So the person comes in and they have some of these things. And obviously the complexity of this situation is, is far too deep to talk about everything involved. But I think it'd be helpful for me personally and for our audience to hear an expert like yourself come in and say, you know, here's how you can look at this dimension as it applies to food in this dimension. And here's how it might actually have a larger significance for an individual in their lives. I mean, that's kind of wordy, but I mean, really what we're looking for is, and I'll ask you about a clinical example. And, and so we'll be back, folks, in just a moment to hear a clinical example from Julie Simon on the metaphoric use of food. <laughs> Today, the world of mind, science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and clear laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot, they get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash cbj. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, Julie Simon, thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it. Julie, as we talked about before, is the author of When Food is Comfort, Nurture Yourself Mindfully, Rewire Your Brain. But in the end, you, you, the issue is you get, you'll find yourself in a different place. That's the bottom line. And you can end the cravings and what you've been doing with yourself incorrectly. So 
We were joking somewhat about metaphoric of food, but I think really what our audience is so interested in, Julian, and I know you yourself are as a clinician, we like to see something happen. We like to see where, we like the story of here's where it was, here's what happened, and here's what it is. So if you have something like that that might come to mind, I'm sure it'd be helpful. We would appreciate sharing it. Sure. Let's take an example. Let's remember, let's go back and just revisit for a second. So anybody who's struggling with food and finding it difficult to regulate their behaviors with food, they know what they would like to be doing with food, but they find that they're always falling off their healthy eating plan. So we take that person and we know that the reason they're falling off, as we said before, is because they're having trouble with self-regulation and they may be having that trouble in many other areas of their lives. So we're going to begin our work on self-regulation. And remember, as I said earlier, all of this starts very early in our lives with good attunement from mommy. So what does that mean? Mommy swoops in and tunes in to what we're feeling. So feelings, now when I say feelings, I'm talking about emotions and I'm talking about bodily sensations. And when, when we have an infant, an infant doesn't have any labels. An infant just has bodily sensations. So emotions present in the body as bodily sensations, right? Even though we now as adults, most of us have labels for them, they really actually start in the body as sensations. So we're going to start right back at step one, right? And we're going to tune in to our emotions and our bodily sensations. And this may seem like a slow process, but Remember, we're rewiring the brain and we're learning skills. And so if you want to learn to ride a bike or you want to learn to play the guitar, you got to start putting your fingers on the frets and learning the notes. And it's kind of slow. So this process may feel a little slow for some, but this is where we start. So we begin by doing something I call popping the hood, okay? And just like a master mechanic, we're going to go inside into our internal world of emotions and bodily sensations and thoughts. And we're going to figure out what's going on in there. So let's take an example. You have just driven home from work. You're driving home from work and you had a really hard day. You had a difficult conversation with your boss. Coworker said something unkind to you. And you haven't been feeling that good about the job in a lot of different ways. And you're a little bit hungry. And so you're thinking of heading to the drive-thru and getting a cheesy burger and fries and maybe even a chocolate shake. And you say to yourself, gee, I heard that woman, Julie Simon, <laughs> on Dr. Parker's show, and she said something about regulating something. <laughs> so I think I'm going to try to do what she said, okay? So pull into the parking lot for a minute, you know, before you go through the drive-thru. If you have a pad of paper somewhere, just grab it because it, research shows, you know, that we're more focused and we can actually regulate ourselves better if we write down what we're feeling. Okay, so now we're going to pop the hood. And just take a few minutes and find out, what am I feeling? I just came home from work. I'm a little bit hungry physically, but what am I feeling? Okay. Now, very often emotional eaters have a hard time, even with this first step. They'll say, you know, I have the faintest idea what I'm feeling mm -hmm. or bodily sensations. Do you know what your, your body's feeling? I don't know. Tight. One word. I'm upset. One word. Upset and tight. Okay. Well, we need to get a bigger language going. Okay. So Let's really explore. Well, I guess I'm frustrated. I guess I'm angry. Now, I give people in my books, both my books and in my 12-week program, we have handouts with all every emotion you can imagine, every bodily sensation you could ever label. So we learn how we're going, we're you know getting remedial. We're learning how to do this. We're going back to kindergarten, okay? 
what am I feeling? So I'm frustrated, I'm sad, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm feeling a little hopeless, I'm feeling a little down. Okay, perfect. What are you feeling in your body? Well, I am noticing that my shoulders are tight, I have a slight headache coming on, I see that I'm kind of clenching my fists, my jaw feels kind of tight, all right? So we're really, there's a lot going on internally, we pop the hood, there's a pretty big storm going on, and we, we were going to go bypass that entire storm and just load up on food, okay? Now we know all of those foods, all of today's modern processed foods will release incredible amounts of feel-good chemicals in the brain and we will feel very calm and very relaxed after we eat it. Okay, that's nice, we're calm and relaxed, but we have we are building zero skills. So if we build zero skills, then what we know is we're gonna have to do that forever. We're always <laughs> gonna have to find a drive-through and, and a cheeseburger and that's gonna be how we calm down, right? No skills. Meanwhile, we're gaining weight and our arteries are getting clogged, okay? Yep, so yep. we need some new skills. So we do this in the drive-through. We're in the parking lot. We're writing down what, we're, what our emotions are and what those bodily sensations are. And we're starting to notice that hmm, I'm feeling a little bit more relaxed right now. Just from that first step, I'm feeling a little bit more relaxed. It's a mindfulness step. I tuned in. I attuned to myself. And I'm feeling a little bit more relaxed. That's great. Second step in my seven-step mindfulness practice is to validate. Why do we validate? Why are we going to validate what we're feeling? Because research shows that validation is calming and soothing. You know, we all know that if we're having a problem and you say to your friend, gee, I'm so upset about such and such, and your friend says, well, that makes sense. Of course you're upset. It makes sense to be upset. Just the validation is calming and soothing, okay? So we're going to practice the validation. And there's another very big reason why I created this mindfulness practice in the way I did. When we begin to validate without realizing it, we're starting to use a soothing voice. Excellent so in point. Interesting. So instead of just being all in those feelings, which is the emotional brain, I'm sad, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Now there's another voice in our head that says, hey, it makes sense to feel that way. Of course you're feeling that way. I can understand feeling that way. Now we're building the self-regulation circuits of the brain, okay? Mm -hmm. We're building the soothing function of the brain. So then I go through more steps in the book where we're building that voice. Because remember, I said when we're young and mommy attunes to us, we hear that voice all the time. That becomes one of the voices in our head for many emotional eaters and people with all kinds of problems, like we said, you know, gambling, drugs, they didn't hear a soothing, calming, nurturing voice often enough and regularly enough so true. to have incorporated it. When I think about my own mother, if I have a problem, my mother gets anxious. She doesn't calm and soothe me. She starts <laughs> to get panicked, right? right? right well, yeah. if that's happening at this stage of my life, can you imagine what it was like <laughs> when I was a little one? Ouch, ouch, ouch. Right? Yeah. So we go through all these steps and we're building an internal nurturing voice that's capable of helping us identify our true non-food needs. So let's just say we've been working on that voice in the car, we validated, okay, we brought that voice in, we have a few more steps for that, and now we're ready to get clear on what our needs are. So remember, I'm driving home, I'm the person driving home, I had a difficult time, now I'm going to ask myself, what am I needing? 
I just had a rough day at the office. I need to eat something, but I'm not really needing a cheeseburger and fries and a shake. What am I really needing? Now, again, this is another step that emotional eaters have a difficult time with, identifying what are they really needing? So this person takes the time, looks at the charts and says, you know, I think I'm needing calming, which I've already started to do just by pulling away and writing. I think I'm needing soothing. I guess I'm needing some reassurance that things will get better. I know what I'm needing. I need hope. I need hope that my life could be better than it is. Now the person has connected to themselves. This What happened at work, which was just going to get drowned out and numbed out with food, has now become kind of like a problem to be solved, if you will. And now the person is being proactive and the person is really taking a look at what's going on in their life. And maybe at this point, sometimes not, sometimes a person will say, I still feel pretty bad and I want that cheeseburger. Okay, that's fine. I say, you know, do your work. And if you still feel like you need to use food in the early stages of this work, that's fine. It'll drop away over time. But perhaps the person says, you know what? I think I'm going to go home and make a salad. I don't think I have to have the cheeseburger tonight. I get it. I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then we've had a successful session. Well, I was thinking while you were talking, it's so interesting because no one has really worked with us here at Core Brain Journal so um, eloquently about these small nuanced things that you can just, as you travel in one's mind or my own mind listening to you going through it, you could see how helpful it was. In fact, you can see the message of instruction that's inherent in the problem. You know, yes. The problem provides an opportunity that if you really look at the problem carefully, it provides an opportunity for you to say, okay, I'm not that person. I don't want to be that person, that vulnerable person with the boss who's a pain in the ass. I'm going to be this other person who really doesn't care about that boss. I'm not going to let that person, that other human being, take over my identity. I'm going to reclaim my own personal identity. And instead of throwing a bunch of salve on my face when I really don't need it, I'm going to have a salad, toughen up, work out, and I'm going to metaphorically kick his butt <laughs> by being a person. I'm not going to wince around the office. And he's. Yes, actually, and you know what? Even yeah. if you're not yet able to get as far as you got with that, yeah. right? You might at least be able to say, I can see that I'm really letting these things get to me and I, I'd like to learn more skills to handle. I want to be the kind of person that when my boss says something to me I don't like or a coworker says something, that I have more resilience. I'd yeah. like to build more resilience. So I don't have it today and I'm not going to have it from one session with myself. But it's like you say, it's highlighting an opportunity for me to develop the skills that create resilience in my life. And I need resilience. Life throws a lot of curveballs. So, audience, Julia just corrected me. Uh, Julie, not, and I said Julia, but I said, Julie did correct me a little bit. And I think that's really good that she did because she was picking up that I was getting a little reactive in my own imagination. <laughs> I needed to relax a little bit with this whole thing. I don't really need to kick his ass to feel better, okay? <laughs> no, you know, I wasn't even thinking that so much. I was thinking more that you were just in a very advanced stage of, oh. of the process oh, and, yeah. and that the person in my example may not be so advanced in that they can turn it around that fast. I well, think that's really, because that's you can turn it around. Well, I was thinking, then you weren't correcting me, but I was thinking what you said was really very valid because... 
I was correcting myself then because I think what you were saying was if you reframe it, it's not going to be different tomorrow with that boss. He's going to be very similar because he's not working on himself like we're working on ourselves. And it's going to be a challenge, a different, but I'm going to have a different perspective the next day, which in itself is going to toughen me up. I don't have to metaphorically kick his butt. I can just go into a different self and manage it with a different level of confidence and a different level of planning of what my next step is going to be that's not self-destructive. And that's very calming, what you said to me, as, as an alternative to where I was going, because I think it's really, really very interesting. You were saying, hey, there's some other ways to think about it, depending on where you are, where you are in your own development with the whole situation. That was exactly. Very, very interesting, because what you did was you helped all of us take how many people here have not had that happen? Nobody. I mean, everybody has had that kind of thing happen to themselves at work. And I think your, your cheeseburger example is so well stated because, I mean, it could be ice cream. It could be whatever, chocolate shake, you know. It's going to be something that's going to be completely comforting and soothing and make you feel better. And it will have a certain measure of uh, probably fats and carbohydrates associated with it. Because I don't know, you know more about that than I do, but I would think the fats and carbohydrates are going to do a different thing than the salad is going to do to your mind. It's definitely going to do a different thing to your mind. And what I want your listeners to always remind themselves of is that it's probably five to 10 minutes after you have all that food that even though that food makes you feel so incredible, then comes the guilt and the shame and the remorse. So Every emotional eater knows this cycle, that it's momentary pleasure. We're not ready really to adjust that right away when we're doing it. We know it's momentary pleasure, and we know that within a half an hour, we're going to be beating ourselves up for doing it, but we can't regulate yet. But it's a slow process, but it is, it's not a, a quick fix, this mm -hmm. mindfulness practice, but it is a forever fix. This mindfulness practice will really forever rewire your brain. And they'll be just like a snake shedding its skin. There are going to be layers of awareness and realization and growth that come from this practice. Well, I love the concept of forever because so many of us out here are thinking about more permanent change than just, you know, one thing or another. And you've actually reframed it in a way that we're not working. We're actually having a pleasurable experience by actually finding how we can grow within the experience itself through the reframe and through a practice of doing something different with that situation that does help us grow individually, mindfully, and, and really enlarges our perspective on ourselves with the world. So the whole, the boss shrinks, the remarks at work shrink, the whole thing is into a different perspective which then does really help everybody's self-esteem out there because instead of having a self-esteem blow, they have a self-esteem reconfiguration in a, in a uh, constructive way. I think that's so important what you're saying because I was thinking about in our example that when the person goes back in and they're perhaps uh, reacting to their boss in a different way, on a quantum level, all we are really is vibrating and pulsating energy, right? So when mm -hmm. you vibrate a different energy with your boss, your boss vibrates a different energy with you. And as your body is shrinking, because you're not turning to food as much, 
and you're radiating a more confident you, a more calm you, it has a ripple effect on everyone around you. That coworker isn't saying those snide remarks anymore. The boss is now thinking about promoting you. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's all shifted because you chose to pay attention to yourself, pay attention to your inner world. You chose to give yourself the gift of mindfulness and self-connection. Well, and I love that subtitled portion of your book. I mean, so many of us are here. What is Core Brain Journal all about? Rewiring your brain. And you, what's really interesting about what you're talking about is you're using the metaphor of food and the reality of food in a certain respect because it's a real comfort that is, has to be reckoned with in some constructive way. But that rewiring of your brain is what we're really all here for. And I really want to thank you very much, Julie Simon, for really shedding some light on something we could use every, every single day of our lives. This isn't something, it's just like a conversation that you have for one day, because if you think about this and you start rewiring it in these different ways, the application's broad and you do become a different person in, in the way that you really want to become a different person in the first place. Yes, all of the areas in your life where you're not actualizing your potential this kind of mindfulness practice will help you actualize your potential in every area of your life, which mm-hmm. is so exciting. It is exciting. I'm going to tell you. And that's a great smile you have, by the way. <laughs> Folks, I get to see her right here on Zoom, and she's, she's really taking good care of herself. Great smile. So in winding down, Julie, go ahead and tell us what your website is, where we can reach you if we can. We'd appreciate it. Yes, my website is overeatingrecovery.com. And anybody who goes there can download two free chapters of either of my best-selling books right away, so you can get started reading right away. If you uh, are struggling with emotional eating and you want more help, I have a 12-week emotional eating recovery program, and that program is also in a telecoaching format, so you can join in on that program from anywhere in the world. All you need is a telephone. So if you're struggling, you can work with me privately. You can work with me in a 12-week group format. And at my website, you can also sign up to get blog my blog articles. I write a monthly blog as well. <laughs> you whiz. You're busy. You're definitely busy. Fantastic. <laughs> Listen, we really appreciate you coming on. And we talked a little bit beforehand. I'm looking forward to talking to you. We're going to have uh, Julie back, folks. Julie Simon is going to come back. She has another book now. Has it been published already or is it in the process? This is actually my first book and it came out years ago and it's about emotional eating again, uh, the mind, but it goes in more complex depth about, it's more comprehensive about the mind, body, and spirit imbalances that lead us to turn to food. So I think we'll have another really great conversation uh, on that. I'm looking forward to it because it's going to get down to some even more elemental pieces and And this has been a very interesting conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And that particular book, folks, is the Emotional Eaters Repair Manual. So we're going to be hitting that in some depth and it'll probably be about a month or a month and a half away, something like that. So thank you very much for coming on, Julie. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, Dr. Parker. We'll do it again. You have a good day. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly 
without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.